Welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of cycling performance. I'm Chris Case, and I'm actually in a room with Trevor Connor, and we're going to do this episode together, looking at each other. Are we breaking rules doing this? Probably. I have a mask on. You have a mask on. I have pants on. You have pants (laughs) on. That's my standard, right? I think that's the first time I've actually been in a room with another human being in like a month. Well, time to bring the standards back up to what we might call normal, Trevor. So here we go. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) But we do want to do something a little bit different today. We have been asking all of the guests over the past several months a single question, really, and we want to offer their answers today. But before we do that, Trevor wants to talk a little bit about, give us the context for off-the-bike work, something we've talked about many times before on the show, but we want to give a little bit of a preface to the episode, talking about why it's important, the variety involved, and so forth. So Trevor, what do you got? So if you've been listening to the show, you know that we think off-the-bike work is really important. And it is. I do a lot of it. The one time I really had health issues, the one time I was kind of feeling, man, I'm old, was when I was just riding the bike mm-hmm. and, and not on the bike. So I don't think we need to go down that road of explaining why off the bike work is important. So we're doing something a little bit different here, which we thought would be fun, which is there's a lot of different types of off the bike work. Absolutely. For different reasons, for different things. different seasons. That's a thing. I I have been asked, why do off the bike work? And what I've noticed is my answer really varies. And it's not because I'm being inconsistent. It's because there's a lot of answers to that question. Absolutely. So we thought about it and felt, hey, it'd be kind of fun to ask people what's their three favorite off the bike workouts to kind of get at how are they using it? Why are they using it? What are their different reasons? But I think before we can get to those interviews, we need to just kind of do our summary of why, what is the purpose of off-the-bike work or mm-hmm. what are the many purposes, what's the value? So the first and the most obvious and the one that especially a lot of younger cyclists kind of jump on is how does this make me stronger? Mm-hmm. There are certainly ways in which off-the-bike work will make you stronger on the bike, particularly if you're getting into the weight room and doing some strength work. Right. If you are the typical little on the smaller side cyclist doing some leg work building some some muscle strength is going to help you on the bike and research has gone back and forth on that but really now the research is saying it does help you because it strengthens your slow twitch muscle fibers if they are stronger you can produce more power where you're still just using slow twitch muscle fibers which means muscles aren't fatiguing as quickly, you're working purely aerobically, you're going to be fresher at the end of the race than the person who who doesn't have that slow twitch muscle fiber strength. So that's one. It just makes you stronger. Yep. Goes straight to the heart of performance in that regard. Also can improve neuromuscular recruitment, which again will help you on the bike. And we've covered that before, so I won't dive into it too much. But the next side, which is increasingly an important one to me as a nearly 50-year-old cyclist, is health. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that this is the one that, no, you're not going to notice anything a week from now or two weeks from now. This is the long-term one. But if you want to have a, a long cycling career or even a long season, if you're just talking about a single season, you have to focus on that health side. Cycling is an imbalanced sport. You are 
locked in, you're pedaling in circles, which isn't a natural movement for your body. And there's no eccentric work. And you, you read any of the research on the strength training side, it talks about the benefits of doing eccentric work. So this is one of those things where you're, you're talking about the health repercussions, sort of the general health repercussions. Mm -hmm. You could go without some of this stuff for a while, and, and then I think you're more likely to fall off a cliff rather than see small declines. But if you're doing the off-the-bike work, you're actually preventing that from happening in right. the first place. So I think, I forget which episode it was, but way back early on in this show, we had uh, Dr. Andy Pruitt on, and he made the comment if I'm walking into a building and a cyclist is walking out, I can always recognize them because yeah. of the kyphosis, which right. is that kind of arch in the back. So yep. you just, the cyclists who only ever ride the bike, you watch them walk and they, they stop looking human. They stop looking normal. Yeah, it's like that uh, graphic you've seen between the primate and the human at the other end. And, <laughs> and somewhere in between is the cyclist because they're, they're hunched over. So you hear, heard it here first. Cycling is a de-evolving sport? Or? Yes, it is. And that was episode 59 with Dr. Pruitt, preventing the, I think it was the most common cycling injuries. And that was one of them. That you are about. getting really good at this. I'm like, I vaguely remember doing an episode at some point and you just instantly, oh, here's the episode. <laughs> I have a, a helper over here. She's yeah, called the producer. I know sign language. She's giving me signals. I, I like this. We we can we can and we're challenge in the same us. We're in the same room, so we can actually do this stuff appropriately. Anybody so. listening right now? This is not live. Call immediately. <laughs> ask us a question about something that was said, and we'll give you the episode number right now. Absolutely. Not that you have a phone number for us. Not that this is there live. Is a voicemail. But... Leave us a voicemail. Seven one nine eight zero zero two one one two. My credit bad. card number is four one four. My social security number is. You can pretty much figure out people's social security numbers, right? So not only can you ask us about an episode, but you can now pretend to be Chris Case for the rest <laughs> of your life. You have all you, the information you need on do him. Do you know your credit card number by heart? Oh, I don't even know my phone number I by do. heart. I do. Do you know your social insurance number? My social insurance number. Yeah, you What's don't have that? one of those, do you? Uh, no, I do not. I'm not Canadian. <laughs> That's Canadian equivalent to social security. I have both. I'm special. Do you remember either of them? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what Not even it? slightly. <laughs> I remember the last four digits of my social security because yeah, I get to ask that all the time. I think we should probably talk about off-the-bike workouts now. So let's get back to off-the-bike, yes. So the health component, keeping you upright, keeping you in balance is critical. There is research showing that Cyclists who just ride the bike can suffer from osteoporosis. At least they can lose bone mineral density because it's, you, you don't have any sort of impact, mm -hmm. which helps bone growth. So you might not feel it tomorrow, like I said. You might not feel it next week. But if all you are ever doing is riding the bike, you are shortening your career and you are impacting your health. And Soon it's going to catch up. Right. And uh, I have told this story in previous episodes, but the... Uh, the story I love to tell is back when I was coaching uh, the CSU cycling team. And mind you, I had a fantastic coach in Ushangamiri up in Canada who was huge on off-the-bike work. He wanted us to stay healthy as athletes. So he drilled that into my head, and I mm -hmm. will always appreciate that. 
So when I was coaching CSU and I saw nobody doing this, I would bring it up at the team meetings. Everybody like, yeah, whatever. I just want to ride my bike. And so I, I finally, in those meetings, I figured out how to kind of get through it to them because they're all in their, their early 20s. I was 40. And I would just go, put up your hand if you have an overuse injury that's taking you off the bike. And over half the, the room would put up their hand. And I would just go, you are all early 20s. Most of you have an overuse injury. I'm 40. I didn't put my hand up. Yeah. That's why you do off the bike work. Right. Yep. And I guarantee you if Shang had not drilled that into my head, I would probably not be racing anymore. So that's part two. It's this, this health side. There is a, a third side. So, you know, call that physical balance. There's also a mental balance side. Cycling can wear on you if you're doing interval work all the time. Even if you're having fun on Zwift, if you're always kind of doing the same thing, it's going to wear on you. And there is eventually you, you just need to do other things. I think it makes you hungrier too. Right. In terms of getting the quality work that you want when you want it, um, being fresher mentally so that you can put yourself into somewhat painful situations, whether it's in your intervals or uh, blocks where you know you're going to be suffering by the end of that training block. If you go into it and you're already mentally fatigued, then you know, you're probably not going to get out of it as much as if you go into it fresh or with the right mindset. And sometimes freshness is exactly what you need going into that sort of stuff. Exactly. I can't tell you many times with athletes where I see them starting to get mentally stale and I put on their training plan, I go this weekend, instead of going out for a ride, go for a hike. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll get some resistance, but then they go for the hike and they'll let it go. Oh, I needed that. I didn't even know it. That was so much fun. You just go, yeah. you just need to be mentally fresh. Yep. My favorite is I do have one athlete that when he gets mentally fried, he goes and bowls. Mm. He, he loves 10-pin bowling. Just so. smashing stuff. Yes. Yeah. And so I kind of go, well, sure, I guess there's a physical component. We'll call that off the bike work. But it's it's mentally refreshing for him. Yeah. Yep. So those are kind of the three sides. And there is a lot that you can do off the bike that's going to satisfy one of those needs. So as we go through these different guests, you're going to hear the different focuses how how they use off the bike and it's not always just going to be answering the question how does this make me stronger on the bike one thing that you didn't mention in there that but pertains to some of the things that we we talked about is i i think that doing stuff off the bike actually makes you a better athlete not just a cyclist but a better better oh, athlete. absolutely it it helps with a lot of things that you don't you might not think apply to being a cyclist, but they do in some way, whether it's agility or hand-eye coordination or reflexes or whatever, uh, you know, it, whether it's on the bike or off the bike, some of the skills that you learn in another sport can help with the technical side of cycling, which we haven't really spoken about either. So I, that, I do a lot of stuff off the bike or, it's, you know, and it's not all the time, but to, to become a better or re maintain a, a higher level of athleticism, I guess I would say, generally, which then can apply um, to the sport specifically. I think there, there's, there's three terms here that are often used synonymously, which is fit, athletic, 
and physically healthy. Mm-hmm. And people think that they all go hand in hand, and that's actually not the case. I I have known cyclists who are incredibly fit, like Tour de France level fit, yeah, who are not healthy. Right, sure, absolutely. Uh, I've known people who are, again, quite fit, but not athletic, mm-hmm. because again, all they're doing is riding the bike, and they're not working on other sides. Yeah, so. I do think it's important to to keep all those in mind. And while we focus on this podcast on making you fit, I think you also need to focus on athleticism and particularly health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The first guest we'll hear from, Julie Young, who appeared in episode 91. Julie's a former elite pro, longtime coach, currently owns a Julie Young Training works at the Kaiser Sports Medicine Endurance Lab out in Sacramento, and she has another great perspective on off-the-bike work. What I really liked about Julie's answer is you definitely see that that coach, and you definitely see, well, both the coach and the physiologist, because she has a, a physiology background, where uh, some of the other answers were, I like hiking, I like doing yoga. Julie was like, nope trunk stability i, I want to get right at or hip activation like she really zeroes in on what are the areas that i need to hit both to help performance and to keep balance she understands really well where cyclists tend to have issues and focuses in on that so let's uh let's hear what she has to say so i'm a huge like all like all year round huge proponent of trunk stability and hip activation and hip stability. So I love those. I think those are just, just super, super important throughout the year. Um, I'm also a huge fan of like a yin style yoga. I also really like active recovery of, and I know not everybody's into this, but like summertime, you know, swimming, like open water swimming, just, it's a great like active recovery um, type workout. So I would say those are my, my three main, or like, those are the ones that come to the top of my mind. So why yin yoga? I feel like for athletes, they don't need to go into yoga for another workout. And I think our best intentions to stretch at home get derailed, (laughs) you know, like, Oh, I need to go feed the dog. Oh, I should go vacuum. And And I think like, I love yoga, especially yin yoga. It's surprising to me because it seems so simple, but yet when you're in that pose and you're holding it and you feel like you're resisting it. And and then when you start really breathing and you realize, oh my gosh, breath can help me like relax into it. And I find that I think it's great because it is a counter to like the intensity that we do on our bike or do running in terms of just opening up. But I also have found it's super applicable like on the bike or running when you start a hard effort. And I think the tendency is to kind of tense and hold your breath or hold your body. And I think for me, yin yoga has really taught me to breathe through those sticking points, including like those, those times on the bike, you know, where you have a tendency to start tensing up and holding. So I I love it for that. And I, I just think like, I just think mentally there's, it's just such a great way to slow down. And going back to hip activation, what are a couple good hip activation exercises? So 
I really like, um, I, I, I studied with Dr. Powers down at USC and mm-hmm. he has really dedicated his life to this. And so his science says with like the mini band exercises, it's about static because you're actually changing the brain in that case. So you're, you you want to change the landscape of the cortex to like, I mean, once you've once you've created more real estate for the hips, then you can actually develop that area. But um, so he his protocol with the, the hip activation work is mini bands are up over the knees and the poses are held statically end of range. And the reason for the end of range is that's where you train the stabilizer to kick in before the prime mover. So he does some, and they're very like similar to probably what other folks have used, like the clam, um, sideline abductor, um, fire hydrant, um, and then the moving ones like the like monster walk and crab walk. But I just think there's different protocols in terms of trying to elicit that response. And I really like think what he says makes a lot of sense. So that's fascinating. So static. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it is interesting because he's started to do a lot of work in neuroplasticity. And again, like they really believe like through the static hold, you're creating that connection and you are changing the cortex. And that's for him, like as a PT, he, it's really interesting going to his courses as not a PT. And like, he really believes their industry is, is in jeopardy because they're not getting these were these lasting results. It's kind of like, you know, stem and ice and send people on their way. And he's really adamant about like, we need to create lasting change. And so that's a big part of his practice is, you know, how do we affect lasting change for the client? Next, we'll hear from Petr Vakoc, who is a longtime world tour rider, rode for the quick step team for many years. Now he's with Alpeson Phoenix, team of Matthew Vanderpool and we caught up with Petter recently and he gave a lot of great answers that tended to be more about the mental side here Trevor yeah I think that it's interesting I don't know if this is intentional or not but here you have a pro who's training 25 30 hours a week on the bike he pros at that level really are at risk of getting mentally stale so it seems like he's really zeroed in on how do I keep myself mentally fresh and a lot of these have to do with his sort of off season, you know, when right. he's preparing for the big load to come. And in the winter months, you might say he's doing a lot of this stuff off the bike. Yeah, I think he even said that he takes several weeks off and just goes and does things that are fun. Yep, absolutely. Great. Let's hear from Petter now. The number one is uh, definitely uh, hiking. Uh, I love spending time in uh, nature and uh, most of the winter preparation I spent uh, walking uh, in the climbs here in Andorra. It's a perfect uh, environment to do this. And uh, yeah, at the moment when uh, I'm not able to train outside on the bike, I can still do the hiking. So it's also a big part of training uh, at the moment. Then the second would be uh, gym training. Uh, I really like strength training. I have uh, very specific uh, exercises uh, and always uh, try to 
make something different, uh, at least in one new exercise or, or really turn it around. And uh, it's uh, like a CrossFit style or Olympic weightlifting style. So pretty complex uh, exercises, uh, which are much more fun than uh, just using the machines. And uh, uh, I, I believe it has also a lot more benefit uh, than just the pure machines. It definitely takes time to learn the correct technique, but uh, then it's also more fun. And the third is uh, cross-country skiing. That's something that uh, I grew up uh, while uh, being still in Czech Republic. Then uh, in the winter, it was quite impossible to ride on the bike or most of the days, uh, just the weather is not good enough. So I would spend the whole winters uh, in the Czech mountains and uh, I would spend hours cross-country skiing and that's something that I really like and uh, I miss it miss it now uh, because as a pro our season is so long that there is barely any time to do skiing anymore so I usually do maybe once twice a year around the Christmas time I get to do the cross-country skiing but uh, yeah, it's uh, probably my favorite uh, part of winter training or of the bike workout. But unfortunately, uh, I don't get to do it very often. So what I find interesting is it seems like all three of the, your, your favorite off the bike workouts have a, a certain mental component to them, meaning um, you enjoy hiking. You said you enjoy cross-country skiing, um, but they do have benefits to cycling. Even when you said when you get in the weight room, you prefer, even though you, you have to take the time to learn the proper lift, and please, anybody listening to this, if you are attempting Olympic lifts, you need somebody there to help you. You need somebody to teach you to do it properly. Do not attempt it on your own. But you, you said that you like those because they're more interesting, they're more fun. So it seems like keeping it enjoyable, adding that, that kind of mental enjoyment side is an important part to you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I really like to train in different environments on the bike as well. So I often, uh, in the winter season, travel to new places to also discover new roads. So this uh, element of uh, having something new, something different in the training, uh, it's a big part of uh, what makes it uh, fun for me. Next, we'll hear from Steve Neal, owner of The Cycling Gym, co-owner of The Cycling Gym up in Toronto, Canada. We caught up with, with him for episode 90, and here he's going to talk a bit more about his off-the-bike favorite workouts. Yeah, so a little background, a couple fellow Torontonians, Steve Neal and Andrew Randall on the, the gym. Andrew Randall's a Canadian national champion. Steve Neal was the national mountain bike coach at one point, and their facility they, they coach cyclists, but they have actually built a, a quite literal weight training gym that is designed for cyclists uh, because that's how important they feel off the bike work is for, uh, for cyclists. So we thought it'd be really interesting to hear their perspective on, on what's their favorite workouts and what cyclists should be doing. Great. Let's hear from Steve now. Respiration training. So I've been utilizing that for 
probably over 15 years and had a lot of success with uh, the clients that kind of commit to it. Even myself, I got off asthma medication when I was 35 and took my vital capacity from like 2.98 to currently sits around 5.9 and no, no longer on medication. You know, that that's something that I think a lot of people or the medical profession might, might have said that you can't change your vital capacity. And as an asthmatic, I was always getting tested at the hospital. And, you know, we currently have a, you know, a, a medical grade high end metabolic cart at the gym. And so I can actually do a medical vital capacity test right at the gym and, and, and know that it, it has changed. And, you know, I think respiration's getting, a it's coming to the forefront. I think mostly in other sports, maybe with breath holding and CO2 tolerance. And so we've got this big kind of, on one side, you've got people who I think maybe in the endurance world, we tend to do what the CO2 tolerance people called over breathing. Um, but I, I really think that there's a place for both of these types of training. If you can improve your vital capacity and um, improve the muscles that that allow us to breathe so that we can do that in a more efficient way, then that's one side of it. And then it, 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 I always feel like if you can take your respiration above what's required in your sport, then you don't have, your body's just going to, then you're in this peripheral limitation situation. But, you know, our respiration can be a limiter in our, in our bigger picture. I'm really just starting to ex sort of learn more about breath holding and CO2 tolerance and I've been kind of fiddling around with that for a little over a year. And so I think respiration is going to come more to the forefront with uh, products that are getting maybe a little bit cheaper and, and more accessible for everyone to actually do some respiration training. I, I think that's one thing that I, um, I like to look at. Um, the stretching, strength training thing is always super important. I do feel it sometimes comes down to time. So you know, if you have people with 12 hours a week with really big goals, stage racing, grand, big grand fondos, and lots of them in a summer, it can get tricky to, to, to really follow a strength plan that's going to help someone. But I think there's, you know, there's always time for mobility work and mobility work can even incorporate core training. Uh, some people just don't need it. It's like I worked with some people who tried strength for a year and then felt a certain way and gone off it. And they, they just, I don't know, some people just seem to be resilient, mobile and strong enough and healthy enough. And others are just continually getting injured and being uncomfortable and trying new saddles and switching their shoes and their cleats. And so I think if someone's really super fidgety and always changing stuff or looking for the next most comfortable thing, then, you know, mobility and or strength training would really help them. And I just, sometimes a proper mobility program can't always be done at the same time as a proper strength program. And so maybe deciding which one is, you know, which one is best for the person might be the way to go. Now let's hear from Payson McKelvin, who appeared in episode 97 about stretching with the main guest being Menachem Brody. But we thought his answers during that episode were great. So we bring him back for this episode here. Payson's a multiple-time national mountain bike marathon champion. Pretty nice guy, if I do say so myself. And 
Here's what he has to say about stretching and yoga. So Payson, as a mountain biker and a gravel racer, do you use stretching in your daily routine? Do you use it as a recovery tool? Do you use it for your warm-up? I do stretch, but it's more as I as I feel I need it. Um, I don't have a, a stretching regimen per se. Um, I've heard it's it seems like one of those topics where you've got folks all over the map, folks theoretically in the know all over the map, um, based on what I've heard. Uh, the kind of stretching I do is, I guess, what you'd call more dynamic stretching. Um, part of my uh, gym warm-up routine involves some stretching, but it's almost more mobility type stuff, um, creating the the range of motion or increasing the range of motion that you actually are able to control. And by that, I mean, you know, if you just pull up your your ankle uh, to your butt to to stretch your quad, um, that's not really a movement that you're uh, under control with per se. So one thing we've kind of been working on is the mobility component. So how far can you get that foot back to your butt without using your hands help, for example. Um, so stuff like that. That said, sometimes I will do much more traditional stretching just when it feels right. You know, when muscles are really sore, um, for me, and I think for a lot of people, stretching just feels really good. And it, it's not like some crazy half hour thing where I meticulously go through every muscle group and, and have a checklist to make sure I get everything. It's more just a, this feels good. I need to kind of stretch here. Um, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, I've, I've heard mixed things about whether stretching is quote unquote good or not. Um, I would never stretch aggressively like on the start line of a race. Uh, that said, one of the veterans that I race against, Carl Decker, is pretty famous for doing stretching right on the start line. And uh, we kind of giggle at him for that now and then, but that's what he likes to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's more of a case-by-case case basis. And I actually had a professor in college who is very, very against stretching. Um, but to me, it just kind of feels really good sometimes. And I think at the end of the day, there's probably something to that. Right. What about yoga? Do you incorporate that into your life in any way or as a recovery tool or even a, a way to relax the mind? I'm not a regular yogi. Uh, I have done yoga in the past and I will do it here and there. Again, it's more something that just feels good. Um, this kind of reminds me of the conversation I often have about CrossFit where people see that I go to a CrossFit gym and they see that a lot of the moves I do look a lot like CrossFit and they ask if I do CrossFit and I say, well, kind of like a lot of the strength moves we work with, um, are, are very much look like CrossFit and some of them are even, you know, in the CrossFit games, but we don't have the time component at all. Like I'm not rushing through it. Um, really focusing on, uh, quality over quantity of reps, all that sort of thing. And so similarly, um, with, with stretching and yoga, it's just sort of like some of the moves probably that I do probably look like yoga, but it's not because they come from yoga. <laughs> um, right. Right. I understand. <laughs> yeah. They just feel right. So, um, you know, if I, if I 
say do a, a really push myself towards the end of a strength workout in a plank position and just see how long I can hold a plank position and really, you know, climb into the box and, and, and bite down and, and do a max out on a plank, um, which is something we do often at the end of a gym workout. What feels really good right after that is a downward dog move. Um, does that mean I do yoga? I don't know. <laughs> All right, Trevor, you're on the clock. You got one minute or three minutes really to talk about your three favorite workouts off the bike. Can't be on a bike. Go for it. I actually have a whole bunch, but I think I've, I get to pick three that are definitely among my three favorites that gets at each of those different elements we were talking about. So in terms of the strength performance side, I have a whole plyometrics routine that I love to do. Part of my enjoyment is I go into the field behind my apartment complex mm -hmm. and do it. And many of these things look really strange. And all the people in the <laughs> complex stare at me, wondering what the heck I'm doing. Do they I'm look that guy. As, do they look as strange as the guy wearing the VR glasses dancing in the snowstorm that we saw that one time? Nothing will be as strange as the guy that was sitting awesome. in the parking lot with VR goggles on. Yeah, no, I, I won't do that ever. All right. So that's my performance side. My health side, I have a back issue. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of core work to try to keep my back strong. Uh, I have figured out what does and does not help my back and find if I don't keep that up, my back starts bugging me. Mm -hmm. And finally, the third one, just the mental side, I, I'm not a huge fan of running, but I love to snowshoe. Mm-hmm. And every time we get a snowfall, I get really excited because I go and hit the trails and snowshoe for a couple hours. And it's just one of my most fun days. Awesome. That's uh, around here. You can't beat a good snowshoe when we get a few feet of snow. Yeah, there's some pretty wild trails around here. So, Chris, you're on the clock. What are your three favorites besides chasing your daughter? Around? Ah, that's that's a really good exercise off the bike and really good mental um, a mental break for off the bike times. But no, I would say running is something that I have rediscovered in a way. And while it's you know can be as physically taxing, sometimes more so than being on the bike, I love the simplicity of it. Just throw the shoes on and go out the door. From my house, there's a lot of good trails. So it's it serves a off-the-bike strength purpose, if you will, an agility purpose, trail running. But it also has a mental component to it because of the simplicity, because it it you can go out for an hour and just you're not really even having to pay attention. You're just listening to birds sing and stuff like that for a more... Uh, purely mental side of things. I love hiking and getting into the wilderness in Colorado or wherever I might be in the world. I love it. Um, I can't get enough of seeing great landscapes. And when I do that, I try to t really take my time, slow down. It isn't about getting to the summit of anything. It isn't about reaching a high point or climbing something impressive. It's just being out there, slowing down, uh, relaxing, appreciating what's around me, all of that. Um, I'm starting to sound like Colby Pierce now, but it's like a spiritual thing. It's it's really amazing and refreshing to be outside without any devices around too. That's another thing. Get you know, leave your phone in somewhere that you can't get to. A third thing, 
in the winter times when we get a snow, um, if I'm not on trails, snowshoeing or hiking, then I do love to, to do some Nordic skiing too. And that's a really great way to get fitness without being on the bike. And so in those winter months when it's tempting to get back on the bike, I try to resist that because I know I'll spend a lot of time on my bike, maybe too much time on the bike in the summer months. So we can do that Nordic skiing as a family more. And, and I love just getting up onto some trails and doing that. So That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com or call 719-800-2112 and leave us a voicemail. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. From Julie Young, Petter Vakoc, Steve Neal, Payson McKelvin, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.